Psalm 22 and verse 15 will be our text for today as we are working our way through uh, this 22nd Psalm. As most of you, if not all of you know, this is a Psalm that does deal with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ as uh, some thousand years later after this was penned by David, that it is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus as he was giving his life for the sins of his people. And so this is a psalm that deals in the main with the crucifixion, at least the first half. We know the latter half of this psalm will be dealing with another matter, and we'll get to that, Lord willing, one of these days as we proceed through. But verse 15 will be what we will be looking at today. And he says here, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of earth, or excuse me, of death. I was looking at the last part there. So let me read that again. My strength is dried up like a pot shared, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Of course, the crucifixion of our Lord was having terrible and very cruel effects upon him. Uh, They were affecting him both as far as his uh, spiritual life, his soul was concerned, and as well, it was affecting his body, obviously. We do know there were two other people being crucified with him, and while they were going through some of the same torments that our Lord did as far as bodily, but they were not experiencing the great wrath of God upon them because Jesus Christ had taken our sins upon him and their God was punishing him for those sins. So all the spiritual anguish that our Lord was going through, he also had to suffer physically as well. And it wasn't just as he was upon the cross that he suffered. We also know that he had been enduring some great affliction up before this point. You remember before he was crucified, he had undergone the buffeting of his body during his trials as he was taken from uh, the chief priest over to Pilate and then to Herod and back to Pilate. He was suffering great humiliation by the hands of men at that point. You also remember that he had been up all night. He was deprived of sleep. He had gone to the garden. You remember that evening after the uh, Passover and the Lord's table was instituted? He goes out to the garden to pray. It was there, you remember, he was taken prisoner and brought to the high priest's palace. And there he was examined by the chief priests and elders and all the uh, council. And Matthew records, as Matthew does record for us, that particular scene. And after being found guilty of blasphemy before them, they spit in his face, they buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, Matthew 26, verse 67. Now, this ordeal lasted throughout all the night. And so you could imagine then he was both exhausted as well as having the, uh, the experience of being pounded on by these uh, wicked <coughs> men. And when morning came, we know that he was bound and taken to the governor, uh, Pontius Pilate, And once again, he was subjected to questions and uh, the humiliation that took place in all of that. 
And during that time, he as well was scourged and he was beaten and he was reviled. We also know for a time he was placed in Herod's charge where he was questioned again because of uh, him being sent there. Then, of course, he's taken back to Pilate and more physical sufferings were imposed upon him. And after the sentence, he was taken, uh, made to take his cross to the place of crucifixion. And then, of course, finally, he is crucified. The nails are driven in his feet. The nails are driven in his hands. And then he is hoisted up there upon the cross and where he is railed against, where he is mocked by the crowds. All of this, of course, would have taken a great toll upon both the mind and the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was very weakened even as he came to this very point of crucifixion. And so we know here that his body then would be reacting against the pain and the suffering and the cruel torments, both in his soul and his mind, as well bearing up under the torments of God's punishment for sin. So all of this is going on upon him. It's not just he's hanging there dying, but the the great uh, agonies that he was suffering because of the sins of men and because uh, our sins being laid to him and God punishing him. And of course, the wicked men that are there who are simply trying to punish him even at his death. Now, we know all of this because the writers of the gospel reveal these things to us. They inform us of some of the great uh, tragedies that was going on with the Lord himself. The crucifixion itself upon an already weakened Christ or body of Christ would have brought the sufferings even to a greater height. In other words, he was already tuckered and tired by the time he got to this point, And so now there's even more being afflicted upon him. And one of the effects they tell us, and we can see here even from our text, of the painful cross would have been the great amount of thirst that he would have been suffering, that he was being, as we call it today, dehydrated. He had lack of moisture there in his body. And not just the crucifixion bringing this about, but again, as he was suffering the burning wrath of God's fury upon him. And so as we picture this, we see here that his strength is nearly gone. And of course, these are the effects then of the crucifixion. These would be the consequences of someone being crucified here in our understanding. Now, some of these effects effects we have been looking at. We saw there in verse 14, he says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. And then in verse 15, he picks up with some more of, of a description of the things in which he is suffering. He says, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Now just in a quick summary, what this verse is telling us here is that Our Lord is describing something of the sapping away of his strength and, of course, of the great thirst 
which was upon him as his death was just a matter of hours away from him. So we see here then something of the descriptions of his torments. Now, these things are, of course, the consequences or the effects of his terrible pain and his agonies that he was going through. So what I want to do is to look at this passage and opening it up, and there will be basically uh, three or four things that we will see. We'll pretty much follow the clauses that are found in this particular passage. But in opening up this passage, let me state first of all, that there are both physical and figurative language that is being used here in verse 15. So we see both the idea that it's something real that's taking place, but at the same time, he's using some figurative language to describe it. And one can easily see that, for instance, in the first part of that passage, he says, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. There he's using the the metaphor there of a broken piece of pottery says that's how I am. And then the last part of that passage, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. They're speaking of him about ready to die on the uh, brink of death itself. And so these are uh, figurative languages, but they are uh, actually depicting something that was truly and really going on with his body. Now, the second thing I want us to look at is to examine the words that are found here. And as I said, we'll divide this up in three headings or three parts corresponding to the three clauses that are found in verse 15. So let's look to the first one then. He says here, uh, my strength is dried up like a pot chair. As we already mentioned in the introduction that I just gave us here a few moments ago, the sufferings that he was enduring both before and during the uh, time of crucifixion, was a terrible drain upon his physical stamina. It's amazing that he was able to withstand all of this up to this point. Now we know here in a little while he will die. He will give way to death itself. Death will come. And so at this time, we know then, at this point, he must have been terribly weakened. He must have been terribly tired. His strength at this point was greatly gone. And to think here, he was a man, I believe anyway, I think he was a man who had tremendous strength. I think he was a man who had great power. I don't think he, uh, he uh, you know, as you see him, which we don't really, but, you know, you see all these pictures of Christ that are painted or you see him on the silver screen, so to speak, and how that they portray him. I don't think that's how he looked. What in the pictures we see in the movies or on, uh, hanging on the wall is this frail, skinny, undernourished, long-haired, girly guy. That's what you see. That's not how I believe the Lord Jesus was truly portrayed there as he walked upon earth. And there are at least two reasons as to why this picture that's pretty well seen today and a time before was because they get some things wrong. And one of them is that, first, of course, it's idolatry. 
You know, the second commandment forbids us from making images, especially of God. And here they are painting pictures of Christ, which of course is wrong. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, the scripture tells us. The second reason why I don't think he was this frail, sissy looking kind of a guy was because of the fact that he was a son of Adam who had no sin dwelling within him. So he was not some sort of a weakling or some limped wrist or infeminate type of individual. He was robust. He was strong. And he would head to a bit. And the reason for that is because of all the sufferings that he is enduring here. He's not someone who would have given away at the very beginning because he was, as you see in picture a lot of times on, on TV or on pictures that you see hanging on someone's wall. That's just not him. He was not that way at all. Also, you remember in the gospel accounts, there's about three places where it tells us there that Jesus, when it seemed like he was surrounded and was ready to be caught, that he just passed right through them. How that could have happened? It's not that they were lacking the will and the desire to take him, but he just passed through them. We read in uh, Luke 4, verse 30, but he passing through the midst of them went his way. He did what he wanted with the crowd. John 4, verse 30, then they went out of the city and came unto him. And it talks about how that he again passed through them. John 10, verse 39, therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand. So this doesn't sound like someone who's infeminate, does it? It doesn't sound like someone who who is sissified and has this kind of a look about him that he's helpless. That's not him. He was the Son of God in human flesh. But yet now he is weakened though. This is taking its toll upon him. And our first clause of our text here points this out. His strength, uh, his power, his stamina, his physical being, uh, all of this was being pressed upon. And not only that's not even counting the the great turmoils that was going in his mind and in his heart at this time. As he hears the jeers of the crowd, as he thinks about the terrible sins that's being laid upon him, as he's suffering the very wrath of God, all these things that are upon him. And he tells us here that these are some of the effects upon me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. Now, as I said, a potsherd, children, is a piece of a broken pot or pottery. If you've ever broken a, a, a flower pot, perhaps it fell off the, uh, the back porch or something and it just crashes on the ground and it breaks into many pieces. That's what he's talking about here. It's someone who, something that's been broken. You remember it was Job when he had those terrible sores upon him. That the Bible tells us there that he scraped his body with a pot shirt. He just took that and he scraped it off. Can you imagine the pain that would have caused him to do that? The sharp pieces cutting into him. So the meaning of this here is that he's been broken. 
He's in pieces, both physically and most likely mentally in some sense. Because again, he was a he was a man. He was a true man. He would have gone through the same kinds of struggles we would have went through as we were on the if we were on the cross. If we were suffering those uh, terrible effects upon us. And so he tells us here that his strength is broken. It's, it's almost gone. It's vanished. Because of all the sufferings and all the pain that was upon him. With all the weight of our sins being laid upon him. That would have been an amazing thing just in and of itself. To have the sin of all those who will ever believe. All of their sins. And then placed upon the Lord Jesus. Him being accounted a sinner for our sakes, becoming our surety, and to suffer that which we should have suffered. And then all the weight of God's fury and hate against sin upon him and his wrath. And so he's withered up here. He's tired. One writer noted also, it refers to the fact that as a piece of pot shared had been burnt in the fire so as to make it hard, he's telling us, so our Lord, under the fiery wrath of God, his strength was dried up. He also went on to say that he was, this was likened like the Passover lamb being roasted with fire, burned because of our sins. So we see now at this point, His strength is gone. He's hanging there. And then secondly, he says, my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Now this phrase can have a couple of meanings behind it, and probably both of them are true at this point. The first is that the phrase bears reference to the fact that not being able to speak when your tongues are against your jaw you you can't talk like that very well. And so they have have the idea here that he's unable to speak. He's got to the point where because of all the physical things happening to him that he's unable to speak. It's signifying here silence. Job, for instance, he tells us in Job 29 verse 10, the nobles held their peace and their tongue cleaved to the roof of their mouth. Once again, denoting there that they were unable to speak. They had nothing to say. Ezekiel 3, verse 26, And I will make thy tongue cleave to the roof of thy mouth, that thou shalt be dumb. Now, dumb there, children, doesn't mean lack of sense, but it means they're unable to speak. He says, That thou shalt be dumb, and shalt not be to them a reprover, for they are a rebellious house. And so here then, this idea would imply our Lord's silence towards his enemies. As he's being crucified, they're out there cheering the death on, of course, and saying all these terrible things upon him, and he's reviled there. And when our Lord was brought before the religious leaders even, remember the Bible tells us that He didn't answer for himself. He didn't try to defend himself. And that's why Peter can state in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, 
but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So this idea then could be the fact that he's unable to speak or he didn't speak the things that perhaps normally we would have been saying in the midst of our crucifixion. The second thing it could also imply and, and does, it speaks of the great thirst which occurred because of the crucifixion. You remember one of the sayings that is mentioned there on the cross that our Lord gave that's recorded for us is that he said, I thirst. That's found, you remember, in John chapter 19 and verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now completed, uh, accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now that's actually taken not from Psalm 22, but it's taken from Psalm 69, which is a psalm, once again, of the Christ. He says in verse 21, They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Here the psalmist again is looking forward some thousand years from this point, and he's <coughs> being speaking here about the Lord and his great thirst there upon the cross. And so the idea here that it could refer to him physically and really being thirsty is not out of bounds of thinking. He was going through all that, and he, he was probably greatly dehydrated. And again, that's another phrase, your tongue cleaving to your mouth or your tongue cleaving to your jaws or the top of your roof or your mouth, is another phrase that denotes something of great thirst, being dried up on the inside. And of course, when someone's very thirsty, what's one of the first things that you think about? Your tongue's dry, isn't it? Uh, when I'm up here preaching, I have a, a thing of water by me because I get thirsty. One of the things that I notice first is the, the dryness of my mouth, the dryness of my tongue. And this, of course, was taking place upon the Lord. I was reading Luther's comment about this. He says, it's incredible how this inward anguish and terror and dismay withers and dries up completely and suddenly the whole moisture of all the parts of the body and makes them weak and good for nothing, especially the moisture of the tongue in which we chiefly feel this thirst and drought. You see, he had the understanding there that when you're very thirsty, one of the things that is denoted is, of course, a very dry mouth. But Lamentation, the book of Lamentation, kind of sums this up. It says, The tongue of the suckling child cleaveth to the root of his mouth for thirst. The young child asks bread, and no man breaketh it unto them. So the first part of that passage there in the book of Lamentation, the tongue of the suckling child cleaveth to the roof of his mouth for thirst. So your tongue is so dry, your mouth is so dry that your tongue sticks to the roof of your mouth and you can't speak or you can't talk and you're just very thirsty. So here again, this is the effects that the cross is having upon the Son of God Himself. Thirdly, the final phrase that we look at, He says, And thou hast brought me to the dust of death. One of the things we can note when we read that passage is that now definitely... He's speaking here to his father. Now, he's been doing this all along. 
But here, he turns directly to God and he says, And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. He doesn't look out to the crowd. He doesn't think back to Pilate and to Herod and to the chief priest and the high priest who had sentenced him to death. He doesn't say that to them. But he says it here to his heavenly Father. He's speaking directly to him and he lays this, his death, to this point. That thou hast brought me to this place. You have brought me to the brink of death. I'm ready to perish. I'm ready to die. And it's of your hand. It's his God that has brought him to this. Now we all know this was the decree and purpose of God that Jesus Christ would be put to death. That it was the predetermined counsel of God, foreknowledge of God, that he would be taken by cru- and crucified by wicked hands. We've read that over and over as we've dealt with this psalm quite a bit. In the idea of, uh, what is it, Acts chapter 4 or 2, I think verse 23, and also in Acts chapter 4, where it's plainly admitted there by both Peter in chapter 2 and the church there in chapter 4, that this was of God's hand, that they were simply the pawns in God's hands, wicked as they were, and as willing as they were. All of this was in the hand of God to take him and to have him crucified. So it's amazing here, in the midst of all this, in the midst of his great sufferings, he turns now to God and he says, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Now this phrase does speak of death, obviously, because we know that his approaching death is near. At this point, he was about ready to die. That great last enemy was to come and to lay hold upon Jesus Christ. You know, you think about all the suffering, you go, that's amazing that he would allow all of that to take place. That he knew all this was going to take place. And that he felt every time they struck him, he felt the thirst, he felt the sorrow, he felt the torments, he felt the agonies. All that's amazing to us as we think this is the Son of God manifest in the flesh, but yet it's still God's suffering, or I should say the God-man who is suffering. We don't believe God can suffer. But it's the God-man. But not only that, but death is going to lay a hold upon him. He's going to die. He's going to give his life over. Now, his life's not taken from him in the sense that he could not control it because we know he could have and did, his Bible tells us. But that last enemy was coming, and he knew it. He knew it was just a matter of time that he was going to die there upon the cross. Death was going to come and take the last Adam. Matthew account of this. Now notice the timing of this. This is in Matthew chapter 27 and verse uh, 40, beginning there in verse 47. And some of them stood there when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let it be, or let be, 
Let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. So in other words, this is about the end, right? If we take the, and see the chronological order of how it's flowing out here, we're about done as far as his life and death is concerned. And while we know that death carries this great terror with it, it doesn't matter whether you're a believer or you're an unbeliever. There is a terror that comes with death. It's not as great for the believer as it is for the unbeliever, but nonetheless, it is there. There are still the bands of death in the Christian's death. And so this great terror here is coming upon the Lord Jesus. And you know, the Lord faced that as well, did he not? He didn't detour from that either. That didn't make him say, this is enough. I'm done. But he completed his mission. He completed his duty. Knowing that it was appointed to him to die. As it is for all of us. But because of his death, of course, we're put to the better. Our death only means a change of state and where we will be. We have a hope, of course, that the world doesn't have, can't have. We have the hope of Christ. We have the hope of eternal life. And not just because he died, but also because the scripture tells us that he was buried and that he rose again triumphantly on the third day. Here It shows us here that death couldn't hold him. Though he was to die. And death did hold him for three days and three nights. But it could no longer after that point. And if we read the scriptures and we compare the passages, we know that it was God the Father who raised him up. It was the Holy Spirit who raised him up. And Jesus himself who raised himself up. All of these were active in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, nothing could have kept him. Not even death itself. Not even our sins. As he left them there in the grave. So let's be reminded then of these words as they're spoken for us, no doubt. As we read verse 15, it's recorded there for us. It's recorded for us to see. It's recorded for us to meditate upon. It's reported, recorded for us to sing praises unto God. So it's no doubt that they're recorded here for us. But no doubt, it's also a description of his sufferings. Can't get around that either. Yet in all of this, these words are the words that are spoken to his father. And they're spoken in such a way as so that he would be heard on high. In other words, he's laying these things out so that God would hear him. You remember earlier on, we were discussing the fact that he's, these are arguments that are set forth why as to God should help him, why God should hear him. And we discussed those things beginning there a few verses earlier. And now he's giving this one, my strength is dried up. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws and you've brought me to the death brink of death. So he says all these things to be heard. Let me close with a couple of uh, 
applications. These are very brief and something you already know. But let us be humbled by these things. If you can read these things and be proud, there is something wrong with you. There is something about your sin that you haven't just yet been conquered in. We need to be humbled by these things. The Son of God in flesh gave himself for us to suffer all these things. The one who didn't deserve it suffered. The ones who did deserve it go free. That's us as believers. So that ought to humble us. It shouldn't make us proud and haughty, but humbled. That's such of Christ to do so. The second thing it would make us is to be very grateful. Very grateful that he was so willing to endure the torments of the cross, knowing all these things full well from all eternity, and then coming in human flesh and experiencing those things so that you and I would escape the wrath of God. Certainly he needs to be praised, and we ought to be thankful for these things. Well, we'll stop there and we'll pick up, Lord willing, the next verse next time. So may God bless that to us today.